Welcome to the award-winning Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. It's the first Tuesday of the month, so that means a new story for all our lovely listeners. Our story today is by Carol McDonald. You'll recall her stories, Black is the Color of My True Love's Hair, in episode 38, The Gleaners, in episode 39, A Thing of Beauty, in episode 45, and The People of the Dark Mirror, in episode 57. Carol McDonald holds a BA in literature from SUNY Purchase and is a writer of Christian, supernatural, and multicultural stories. Her writings appear online and in secular and Christian publications and anthologies. In addition to fiction, McDonald a Jamaican-American writer, also writes nonfiction Bible studies and devotionals. She is the author of The Constant Tower, My Life as an Onion, Spirit Fruit, Collective Speculative Fiction, and Wind Follower, which was nominated for the Clive's Staple Award for Christian Speculative Fiction. McDonald has also released The Daughters of Men, The Nephilim Universe Book One, and the anthology Turn Back, O Time, and other tales of the phase of Malku. Her mainstream novel, Black Girls Have Always Loved Cowboys, is being serialized on Kindle Vela, and her novel, Who Gave Sleep and Who Has Taken It Away, will be published in 2022. You can find her online at instagram.com slash author and carolmcdonald.blogspot.com. Check the show notes for all the direct links. So without further ado, The Untold Podcast presents Listen Listen, Listen, by Carol McDonald. It had been two weeks since the accident at school. Pierre's frail schoolboy body had recovered. His arm and chest no longer ached. But he was now blind. The bandages had been removed from his eyes, and now life was a puzzle he had to sort through. Weeping, hovering over his hospital cot, his parents and the doctors had told him to expect blackness, nothingness, confusion. However, those had not come, for instead of dark, static nothingness, there was sound, vibrations, and waves, the emanations of living things. The loss of sight had been so quickly exchanged with what he now termed his sonar that Pierre had no time to know despair. There was loss, yet loss of two close friends, Roland and Leon. Two losses so grievous that Pierre had no will or strength to ponder them. And of course, there was the loss of his sight, 
Useless eyes were sad, yes, and Pierre missed seeing as others saw. He would miss reading the classics, both profane and sacred, both colonial and native, in the village library. But his mother, like all the mothers in the village, had reared him well. Death and destruction were the natural order, the mothers of the town would say, and disorder was common enough. After the first devastation a century before, when children were stolen, and the second devastation, when the warriors returned trembling, maimed, but victorious, the townsfolk lived by the motto, Inner Resources, Emotional Strength. It was this motto the mothers taught their children. So, twelve-year-old Pierre and his fellow survivors had been prepared. For Pierre, life would now be an adventure, and always, hope steadied him. Sixteen of the eighty-seven village boys had been inside the school when the explosion occurred. Thirteen of those had died, including Roland and Leon. Such communal sorrow had not occurred in the town for fifty years. A gloom suffused the air and very breath of the town, yet the town folk stoically anchored themselves in hope and fortified themselves against all kinds of despairing, untoward emotion. Pierre and the other two survivors lay in the same room of the village hospital. One boy, Stéphane, an athlete, had gone deaf. Another, Luis, was now blind, as Pierre was. Before the accident, Pierre, Stéphane, Louis, Roland, and Leon had been good companions. Always together, they had been playing in the west wing of the building when the explosion happened. Luis had been a bright and kind boy, his shirt and vest clean, his smile warm. Stéphane had been the village runner, fleet of foot and habitually racing hither and yon with some message or another for the local vendors. Now, Luis laid in the bed at Pierre's right, sullen and shouting at darkness, while Stéphane walked about the small room, a grayish, wraith-like figure perpetually talking and desperately bewailing his inability to hear answers to his questions. Roland and Leon had been good, funny, and delightful boys. They should have survived, but they had not. Pierre had been listening for Louise for three days, and it seemed strange to him that Louise had not yet perceived the new way of seeing. It troubled him. "'Are you sure you see nothing?' Pierre asked Louise. "'Nothing, nothing!' The grief in Louise's words moved wave-like in Pierre's direction. Dark blue bubbles of despair. He had seen Louise's despair and silence. Kindness had restrained him. He had not wanted to show himself blessed while another seemed to lack the same blessing. And yet he could not imagine his new sight as something supernatural. It seemed utterly natural somehow, and it occurred to him that, although he could not help Stéphane because he knew nothing of deftness, perhaps he could teach another blind boy how to see. Cheerful, avid to teach, Pierre asked Louis, what do you see? Then immediately regretted his words. See was the entirely wrong word. I see nothing, Luis said, sobbing. He clarified, I don't see anything. 
There is no seeing. Pierre sat back and thought. Look carefully, he said. Not with the mind's eye, but at something else. He could only speak as an artist's son. Feel the hues of the landscape. See with the sound of your senses. As he listened to his own words, he began to see how complicated it would be to describe a situation and technique that was second nature to him. I cannot see, the boy answered him. I've told you, there is no such thing as seeing. There is no seeing. There is nothing. I see no blackness. Even blackness would be a comfort, but I see nothing. Nothing! Have we been blinded in different ways? Pierre asked himself, but immediately concluded that the difference and degree of blindness hardly mattered. The eyes and the visual centers of the mind did not matter. What mattered was sensing, hearing, and translating what was sensed and heard. Can you silence your mind? Pierre asked. Luis shook his head in grief, and Pierre felt the head shake, seeing it as a subtle, undulating, and repetitive wave. I cannot. I cannot. My mind shouts at me. It grieves at what it cannot see. What are you speaking of? Stéphane's eyebrow furrowed. Although Pierre could not see the wrinkling, he somehow sensed felt that it furrowed. Why is he sad? What did you ask him? I asked him how he saw. Pierre mouthed, pointing toward Luis's eyes. Ah, Stefan said, comprehending. And how does he see? He doesn't, Pierre said. He still sees in the old way, which is no way at all. Stephane stared at him, confused, then with semi-defeat said, It's lonely being deaf. Pierre extended his hand towards Stephane, and Stephane grabbed it. Mother says we should try to look grateful for our lives, Stephane said. The other mothers have lost sons as well. Although we still have our lives, we must seem to have lost something too, or the others will resent us. I understand. Louis said. His mother had not said anything about the other students. But the sentiment of Stéphane's mother was something his own mother would say. Something all the good mothers of the community would say. For the boys of the community, a mother's counsel was just below the words of the holy book and degrees above the commands of the village priest. I suppose I'll have to learn how to read lips, Stéphane said. But music and the songs of the birds, and the meow of my little kitty. I won't ever hear them again. Roland and Leon have gone on before us, Louis said. Don't speak of them, Stephane said, his voice cracking. My heart will break if I think of them. But Louis was already sobbing. Pierre turned in Louis's direction to look at him. Then all three started crying. came and his mother grasped his trembling hand while his father wept. Comforting him, they took him home. 
Returned to his family's chalet, Pierre took in the atmosphere, studying it with his new way of seeing. The ancient bureau, an heirloom from his maternal grandparents, stood as it always had in the corner by his bed and near the window. Unlike the trees which sent waves of life in his direction as he journeyed home in the family carriage, the furniture lacked life. And yet, a strange harmony of the world was in it, or rather, flowed through it. Behind him, his mother wept, and the bureau, or the aura around it, jerked in accompaniment to her sobbing. Pierre stretched his hand toward its vibration, and its reflection bounced against his palm. The music of its movement made him smile. I can see, he said, turning his smile toward his parents. They returned his smile, and their belief in his strength, like millions of waves, flickered around the hue that was their faces. His parents, Wisteria the family cat, and Brew the family's husky, even the mountains in the distance now presented themselves to his eyes as waves, shadings, echoes of light. There was color in words too, or rather, an emotional throbbing. The conversations of friends, family, neighbors echoed light or darkness. The tones and intentions, good or bad, behind their thoughts rolled over the eyes of his mind like waves. And when Roland's dear mama died of grief, although mutual friends tried to hide their sorrow, Pierre saw it. By now, Luis had also returned home. Luis's mother spoke hopefully to her son, but the hue of her voice showed doubt. She had praised Pierre as a prodigy, as valiant, as hopeful, after she had seen him walking down country lanes and jumping fences as any other sighted boy. Oh, she said, would that my dear Luis could do that. And Pierre had answered her call. I can teach him how to see, he said. Pierre walked to his schoolmate's house and entered Luis's room. Luis sat in his room in deep despair, a static trembling rock surrounded by a sea of tremulous waves. The horizon called out to him, presenting itself to his senses like a pointillist sun on dappled landscape. The bright... Unlike Pierre, who walked his garden without help and could tell distance by sonic vibrations, yellow sunflowers in a pitcher near an old porcelain basin were like pillars. For Luis's sake, all cheered him on. Sensing another person sitting on a stool, Pierre approached it. After several seconds of listening to the echoes, he smiled. Stephane! he said and sat on a small bench to the right of Luis's chair. Stephane shouted, jovial as ever, But how skilled you are, he said. You recognize me even though I sat still. Pierre shrugged. Compliments, his mother had warned, were to be taken in gratitude but not dwelled upon. Were you trying to hide in stillness? Pierre asked. You are too full of brightness to hide yourself. 
Even if darkness surrounds you, even so, I saw that you were testing me. The air around you told me. <laughs> true, true. Are you here to help Luis see in the new way? Stefane asked, intrigued. Cheer up, Luis. It'll be an adventure. Yes, Pierre said, then spoke to Luis. Luis, you have to be alive, aware and present. The mountains in the distance at the edge of the village speak. Everything speaks. The very rocks cry out and listen. Distance was measured by how fast and far the sound traveled, how it bounced, how it oscillated. Sounds came from everything, organic and inorganic, and could be seen as shades of gray. Emotions, too, could be felt. Pierre took Luis's hand. Do you feel the light coming from the window? He asked as he walked Luis into the sunlight. I feel the light, Luis said. Yes, Pierre squealed with joy. Of course you do. I feel the heat, Luis corrected himself. Not the light. Have you felt darkness? Pierre asked. When night falls, do you not feel it? Darkness that can be felt. I have, Luis replied. But who hasn't? True, Stefane squealed again. And Pierre asked Luis, Now, now, do you feel the mountains in front of us? Do you hear them? No, was Luis's despairing reply. Never mind. Look down. Do you feel the space in between the two flowers standing side by side? Do you hear the space between them? No. Don't worry. It's a new language. A language of feelings. Let them lead you. Louise burst into tears. It's no use, I tell you, Pierre. I will never understand. Pierre sat in silence holding and squeezing his friend's hand. Luis wiped away his sorrow. Mother says I will learn to endure, and that there is virtue in learning that I am powerless in something. Understanding my helplessness will give me compassion. But you were always compassionate, Stefane objected, his gaze focused on Luis's lips. But now I shall be even more compassionate, Luis said. I shall understand your sorrow, Stefane, that you can no longer hear the church bells or the voice of the monks raised in matins or evensong. Yes, Pierre said and stood up, his hand outstretched. Let us go to the village cemetery. We must visit Roland and Leon. And now that his dear mamma has died of grief, we must tell him that we will encourage his father against grief. Mamma says it's our duty to encourage him. Luis's friends gave his cane to him of ebony wood, gold-stained, and they journeyed to the cemetery. Inside the church cemetery, Pierre listened as rabbits leapt as their approach or the neighborhood pets greeted them. Tree branches swayed in the wind, and the parents of those who had died called out to them as they wended their way toward their friends' tombs. The patter of the sudden rain muddled Pierre's senses somewhat, but the gentle tap-tap 
tap of Luis's cane comforted him. <sighs> Poor Luis, Pierre thought to himself. If only he could see as I do. Roland and Leon were laid side by side, and their living friends sang to them, and Stephane whistled the old songs to Leon. Stephane, Pierre asked, mouthing the words and pointing to Stephane's lips. You whistle still? I know the tunes, Stephane said, and the church is peaceful. Deafness is a loss, yes, but there is still blessing there to receive. Then he looked up, and it seemed to Pierre that the light within him brightened and sparkled out toward his friends. Something caught Stephane's attention, and his turning his head toward the right caught Pierre's sight. What are you looking at? Pierre asked, pointing at Stephane's eyes. The priest and his lady love, Stephane whispered, pointing at the local priest and a nun. Our priest has a lady love? Louise asked. How many times must I tell you that you must turn toward me when you speak? Stephane said. How shall I know our priest has a lady love? Louise asked, speaking distinctly and turning his face toward his friend. Truly he does, but the love is quite chaste. Stephane said, peering out of the little circle at the priest. They are determined to remain faithful to our good God despite a longing. How do you know all this? Pierre asked. They speak of it often, Stefan said. They're speaking of it now. Reading lips from afar is an enviable skill. Perhaps I shall become a spy. Mama says if we are resilient, we shall do great things. Indeed, Luis agreed. We must do great things. Or what use is this strange life? Who would have thought we would be appointed to live this nightmare life? Indeed. Stephane agreed, then took Pierre and Luis by their arms. I should like you to swim with us, Stephane said. Swim? Pierre asked. Me? Who else? Luis said. We could lean upon each other. I much prefer my own company, Pierre said. Will you become a reclusive artist like your father? Stephane asked. Before this, I had often thought of painting as father does, but now... Sculpting? Well, it would be best. Don't you think so? I do wish I had some skill like that, Louis said. What shall I do with this sad, sightless life of mine? You need strong arms to sculpt, Stephane said. Swimming will help. As they stood there, footsteps approached. Pierre turned toward the sound and recognized a Velier, an old profligate lately returned to the village from the city. You boys bidding farewell to your friends? Avelier asked, limping towards them. We promise them we will do great things with our lives. <laughs> you won't do great things, the old profligate said. If life were only dangerous, one could perhaps do great things. But it is full of evil men who constantly scheme to do evil. It is meaningless and heart-destroying. Find yourselves something to bring the solace. Eat, drink, solace yourself with sex. 
and don't let the teachings of that priest or the stupid pieties of your mothers deceive you. Saying this, he walked past them and poured a bottle of fermented ale atop a tomb. The three boys stood gazing in his direction. Then Pierre said, I have no desire to swim, and bade them both goodbye. Some weeks after this, however, Pierre's mother spoke to him. Pierre, she said, you must become one with the human world again. The school is repaired. Quit this solitary life. Surely you do not intend to become a hermit in your old age. Pierre was a good, obedient child, but he had no wish to return to the school where his friends died. He was tempted to disobey his mother, but his mother continued, my boy, she said, there's a teacher newly come to the village from the city. She lives on the edge of the forest. Miss Lalani is her name. Indeed, she is quite sophisticated, and it is a great wonder among the villagers that such a well-bred and polished young lady should choose to live among us common folk. But life is a strange thing, is it not? Life is indeed strange, mother, Pierre replied. Your father tells me that she is a marvelous swimmer and has even swum across the channel. He has known her these three years, so there you have it, a wonderful swimming teacher in our village and at our very door. Pierre nodded with neither commitment nor refusal. Do you not think that water has texture? His mother continued. What could you not learn from the sound of its gentle lapping and its flows and dispersions? The thought of the playfulness of water, of its echoes and personality, intrigued Pierre. He answered his mother, Yes, that might be an adventure. His mother tousled his hair. Indeed, we do think alike, do we not? Miss Lalani arrived at the family cottage. Before she entered the yard, as she stood by the little rose-covered archway that was the gate, her brightness radiated toward Pierre. What brightness of soul she has, Pierre thought. Her hue and brightness illuminate all around her. Pierre's mother beckoned Miss Lalani inside the trestled gate, her slowly fluttering hand creating currents of welcome. Miss Lalani approached, and the air moved about her flowing dress like a slow waltz. She had not spoken to Pierre yet, and even so, he knew he would love her. Note, I do not say that he was in love with Miss Lalani. He was a child, after all, but immediately he loved her dearly, because the wind, which caressed her so gently, loved her because she was brightness, because sound flowed into her and returned to its sender purer and lovelier than it was when it entered her. She bowed to him, and the light within her flickered brighter. I am Miss Lilani, she said. Good day. I am enchanted to meet you. Yes, Pierre thought. She is enchanted. Not only to meet me, but she is enchantment itself in human form. It is a pleasure, Miss Lalani continued. 
I have heard much of you. Perhaps you will teach me as I will teach you, Pierre. Yes? Yes, Pierre agreed and smiled. Waves of light in her and about her could not delineate her face perfectly. Touching it would be the nearest approximation of knowing. Pierre lifted his hand toward her face and waited, his hand aloft in front of her face. May I touch your face, Miss Lilani? he asked. Miss Lilani bent low and Pierre touched her face. Oh, he said, this is what you look like. This is how I look, Pierre, Miss Lilani said. You're not very beautiful, Pierre said matter-of-factly, and yet your soul is beautiful. Indeed, Miss Lilani said. I have been called ugly, but never so bluntly. When people see your soul, they will find you beautiful, Pierre said. Miss Lilani laughed. <laughs> what a strange child you are, perhaps. But in this world, people do not linger to find the beauty of the soul. In this world, and certainly in this country, none will find beauty in me. Perhaps in another world, or in another city, I will be seen as beautiful. This is the only world we know, Pierre said. This is what Mama says, and we must live with the world we have. Quite true, Miss Lilani said, but the direction of the light in her words veered toward the studio where Pierre's father worked. My husband says you have modeled for the best painters in the capital, Pierre's mother said. They were my friends, Miss Lilani pushed the compliment aside, and Pierre sensed it was not false humility. My friends love me, and I am skilled at staying still. And you have modeled for my husband? Pierre's mother asked. Often when he travels to the city, he visits the schools and sometimes sits in a class. Miss Lilani nodded. Indeed, I have met him, she said and the light about her shimmered as she glanced at the studio where Pierre's father painted. Pierre's first lesson was the next day in the lake at the edge of the village. He approached the lake, studying its texture. The earth, the sky, and the water all had different gradient textures. Their texture was a text telling of distance, speaking shape. The motion of the water, the text of it, called to him as the kindness of Miss Lilani did. Floating under the lily pads, listening to the winds lapping, they played hide and seek. Pierre found new adventure as he tried to puzzle out where... Miss Lalani swam. Wherever she hid, near or far, and whether she floated quietly or swam, he would find her. Rising above the water, he would say, I have found you! I have found you! At one point, his foot found something under the waves. He lifted it to his eyes. It is a coin, he said, one minted in the days of the old king. Miss Lalani clapped her hands. How amazing you are, she said. As she walked him home, she said, We should collect trinkets for our adventures. Whatever you find at the bottom of the lake, if you recognize it, my 
dear little Piero, you may keep it. And if I do not recognize it, you return it to the lake until you recognize it again. Or perhaps I will keep it. She laughed. <laughs> yes, yes, I will keep it and taunt you on your lack of skill. <laughs> Agreed, Pierre said, liking the game. That evening, Miss Lalani joined the family for dinner, and how she shimmered and glowed in the presence of Pierre's father. Pierre's father was handsome, but he was a faithful, sensible man who loved Pierre's mother deeply. Nevertheless, women routinely flirted with him. At first, Pierre found them annoying. He was his mother's son, after all, and if his mother found them annoying, Pierre would as well. But after his blindness, he began to see the painful love in the hearts of these lovelorn women. Their love rushed from their hearts toward Pierre's father, then returned unheeded or kindly rejected. Miss Lalani, however, seemed different. Other would-be mistresses were bold and flirty. They spoke to Pierre's mother with dismissiveness or sniffy contempt. The light in and about them was muddy and dank. No such murkiness lingered in Miss Lalani as she sat at the table barely touching her casserole. Even Pierre could tell that she wished only to live near the object of her love, and she reminded him of the tragic lovelorn women he had met in the pages of the classics he had read. After she left, Pierre's mother said to her husband, If only you had not been so kind to her, such wounded souls often misinterpret kindness. But should I have been unkind to her? Pierre's father asked and sighed. I do hope her visits will not become problematic. Have you no friend who is seeking a wife? Pierre's mother asked. Francois is too rough for her. Giles has a mistress. Evelier is bitter and cruel. And Bernhardt still grieves for his dead wife. Is that all? Pierre's mother asked. Alas, it is, Pierre's father replied. The rest are all married, happily or otherwise. How sad it is for her, Pierre's mother said, and how complicated for us. Pierre's parents fervently and discreetly searched for a possible suitor for Miss Lalani, but none were found. And the lessons and the occasional dinners continued. Miss Lalani soon became a part of the family. Winter came, and water became sleet, ice, and snow. With new temperature came new textures and new texts. Free-flowing lake water had the same personality as its colder self, but brought new shades of character and humor. Miss Lalani and Pierre continued their friendship. Snow blanketed the village in a dense storm, and while the others complained of snow blindness, Pierre saw clearly, measuring the distances and hearts by his inner light. During the week of that snow and hail, Miss Lalani stayed in a little room they had prepared for her beside Pierre's. 
How sad and dimmed her radiance was when the snow melted and she left their house for her cottage. The next day as they walked, Pierre saw something he had never seen before. A great nothingness. Miss Lalani, he said, pointing toward a distant mountain. What is that over there? The mountain? As usual? Mountains do not change, Piero. Do you see nothing else? Nothing? Yes, Pierre said. It is a nothing that I see. It extends like a blot upon the landscape. There is nothing there, or perhaps there is an opening. There are trees and mountains, Miss Lalani said. Trees and nothing else. Nothing else. I see the trees. The rocks, too, Pierre said. Except when the blot impedes. Usually the wind bounces on them and bounces back. But when I look in that direction, the blot swallows all sound. But it returns nothing. How strange, Miss Lalani said. What is the shape of it, this blot? I suppose an ink blot. No, the opposite. It is a great big nothing. Is it moving? Miss Lalani asked. No, it is static. It gives nothing. It receives nothing. It is nothing. As if the good God had ripped out a part of the world and tossed it in his draft basket. Have you seen my father painting in his studio? He has not allowed me to enter. It is like the unfinished part of a canvas, or like wax dripping from a candle. Pierre tried not to sound terrified, but he was a small child again, and very afraid. There is nothing there. Miss Lalani, has something gone wrong with my senses? Is there a blind spot in my hearing and my senses? A blind spot would not be selective as this blot is. Surely if you had a blind spot, you would see this missingness wherever you walked. It is only today that you have seen it. Perhaps radio waves have interfered with your sonar. Turn about. Do you see the blot anywhere else? Pierre turned about. All else echoed and spoke to him. He felt the distance of trees and the nearness of flowers and rocks. It is well, he said. The blot is only over there. Well then, Miss Lalani said, tomorrow when we pass by this way again, if it's still here, we will look at it again. The next day they walked to the same path. What do you see? Miss Lalani asked. Is the blot still there? Still there, Pierre said, but different. Yesterday it received nothing. Today something is inside it. Do you see what it is? Pierre shook his head. It could be the echo of a bird wing or the nibbling of a small animal. The sound of the animal? Miss Lalani asked. Or the animal itself? I think the animal itself, Pierre replied. Intriguing, Miss Lalani said. Entering the blot would be a kind of adventure, don't you think? But I would not want to enter it, Pierre said. I fear that if one enters it, one would never come out again. But life is an adventure, Miss Lalani said. Adventures are not meant to be dangerous. One returns to one's normal life after an adventure. Pierre said, echoing something his mother had told him once. 
I would not want to go inside it, nor do I wish to enter a place with no exit or return home. Listen, listen, listen. One loses one's self in it. One can lose one's light. One can lose all. This portal means harm. Miss Lalani laughed. What do you know about harm? She asked, and they continued on their way. Later that day, Pierre returned with Stéphane and Luis to the cliff where he had seen the blot. Tell me, what do you see and sense as you stand here? Stéphane said nothing, but Luis said, I feel despair. I do not see this blot, but suddenly I am tempted to muse even deeper on my loss. It is as if I am being called into the nothingness. The blot was not there the next day, and Ms. Lilani and Pierre agreed that it had been a momentary glitch in the cosmos. Life went back to mundane adventures, and after winter, spring returned. Like the flowers and other growing things, the love in Ms. Lilani's heart for Pierre's father had also grown. But as she grew to understand the depth of love between Pierre's parents, she herself seemed to be fading away. One night after dinner, Pierre's mother spoke up. This will not do, she said. Her pining for you aches my heart. Perhaps, Pierre said, perhaps you could show her some kindness. He turned to his mother. Mother, you always speak of sacrifice. Could you sacrifice a little for her? Can you not allow father to lie with her, even once? His father stared at him, horrified. I love your mother, Pierre. But perhaps... Enough! Surely you do not want me to take her as a mistress. My boy! Whence came this knowledge? What evil books have you read before your blindness? Do you not know that such a kindness towards Miss Lalani would taint my love for your dear mother? Men have deserted their wives because they pitied strange women. But that would not happen, Pierre objected. It happens all the time, Pierre's father said. The guilt toward the forsaken wife is a worm that destroys the lover and his mistress. There is no peace. Have you not seen what has happened to Avelier? <laughs> no, my son. The heart of a strange woman is not to be pitied by a married man. The next night, Miss Lalani was once again the family's dinner guest. Pierre's father was thoughtful as always, but no light from his heart flowed toward his adoring guest. If it were possible, and it was difficult for him because he was a kind man, Pierre's suggestion has annoyed him. He did not behave differently toward her. He was gracious to her, smiled often, but how could she not sense the dimming of the light of his kindness toward her? The next morning, as they walked together, Pierre sensed the blot again. 
It has returned, he told Miss Lalani, pointing toward the blot that erased the mountain from his senses. She replied, I... I sense it too, surprising him. Two days later, Pierre heard that Miss Lalani had disappeared. No one knew where she had gone. Her cottage was filled with her belongings, but empty of her person. Pierre fell into a deep despair. Where has she gone? He asked his mother. How could she leave here? His mother replied. The railroad master has not seen her, neither the carriage drivers. So she is still here somewhere? She must be my son. Where else would she be? Mother, she would not leave without telling me. Perhaps she would, my son. He asked her again of Miss Lolani the next day, and the day after that. She was nowhere to be seen, and suddenly he felt the emptiness that Luis had spoken of. Something missing. A great nothingness. continued, and after a while the townspeople no longer spoke of her. Her name was added to the annals of the country's missing persons. Throughout the country there was no sign of her. She had seemingly vanished into thin air. Pierre was at his wit's end, grieving for her as he had never grieved for his sight. He could no longer eat, and he began to pine away. His mother said to him, my son, you must not allow yourself to grieve. You will kill your heart. I see her. I see her face in dreams, he said. When I awake, I think of her. His mother said to his father, Something must be done. What shall we do to save our dear son from despair? We have photographs of them together, Pierre's father said. But what is that to him? Photos have no depth of field. He cannot sense the image of her. His father had a sudden thought. For days he worked on a bas relief of Miss Lalani's face. The ugly sad face that had lit up at a kind compliment he had graciously given her. When the image was finished, he attached it to a little backpack in which he placed the souvenirs Miss Lalani and his son had collected. Touch this. He told Pierre after he handed the image and the bag to his son. We cannot bring Miss Lalani back from where she is, but this has her face. You can touch her face and remember her. So the child touched her face. It is not she, Pierre shouted. This image is nothing like her. You have made her too beautiful. So his father worked again. Again, the beauty he gave the image marred the memory of young Pierre. At last, the father worked again on the image, removing all the elements of beauty he had learned throughout his life as an artist. The day came when he succeeded, 
and when he looked at it, there was Miss Lilani in her unseen loveliness. At last, he had seen her beauty. He handed the backpack with the image of her face and all the collected trinkets to Pierre. Pierre took it, slowly touched the face, and wept. It is she, he said. It is she, at last. He brought it to Louise and Stéphane. She was quite beautiful, Stéphane said, and both Stéphane and Louise comforted him. was our story. I hope you liked it. This one really moved me, and I'm not sure why, and that really bothers me. Maybe it's because of the loss upon loss Pierre experiences. First his sight, then of a beloved relationship. I'm always honored when Carol McDonald lets our little show produce her work. McDonald will be, I think, one of those authors that endures years down the road, long after her time, and hopefully this little podcast will get a footnote or two in the biographies written about her. Thanks for the story, Carol. Before we go, remember that... This podcast is a proud member of Culture Box. You've heard of subscription boxes like HelloFresh, Loot Crate, or Butcher Block. And while their assortments may satisfy your hunger for food and fancy, what about your mind and heart? Enter Culture Box a curated collection of podcasts, videos, and articles that will provide you a balanced meal of content. You will find culture celebrated for its past and future, satirized for its extremes, explored in study, and created anew in story, all for the price of free. Whether you enjoy geeky reviews, comedy, or original fiction, you can open up the culture box and find something excellent for your soul. Point your web browser to culturebox.media. And one of the shows on Culturebox is Geek Devotions. Geek Devotions is a collaboration of devoted geeks that are devoted to letting people know that they are loved. They produce a weekly geek culture-infused devotional, their podcast, ComTalk, and written articles, all designed to encourage and challenge people in the geek community, bridging the gap between their faith and their geekdoms. Find all their content at geekdevotions.com. Please remember to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, blog about us, leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find us and let you leave reviews. Support us on Patreon and tell your friends. The Untold Podcast has been funded by Jason Brannan, J.D. Rempel, Richard Zong, Jen Finelli, Fred Heimbaugh, Parker J. Cole, Laura Van Arendonk Ba, Mike and Andrew Williams, Spirit Blade Productions, The Retro Rewind Podcast, Rudy Diaz, Jackie Jolene, Amanda St. John, G.S. Muse, and Nathan and Casey Butler. Leading us out this time is Brother James with Beauty in Our Eyes.
Until next time, I'm Nathan James Norman reminding you compliments are to be taken in gratitude, but not dwelt upon. Do you remember when you told me that our friendship was through? And then I haggled just a little bit till you reformed your views. I'm not proud of that. I'll confess this much is true. If I have any friends from college left, it's all thanks to you and your patience with all of my quirks. It's not wasted, it waters the earth. Do you remember when you held me in all of my fears? Well, I protected them on the hands holding me near. It's not hard to have patience when every tear like a thunderstorm calming us and drawing us near and your patience with all of my quirks is not wasted it waters the earth cause every single seed to have a home first needs to die they grow into trees to have a home all of our lives now we'll never need to love alone always your hands are with Holding the pain and beauty in our eyes But ain't it funny and beautiful that though I didn't want to call And after years that you were always here, I wrote you that poem It's silly and really I love that you didn't know that you were into me Socrates hadn't quite found his home And your patience with all of my quirks Is not wasted, it waters the earth Cause every single seed to have a home First needs to die But they grow into trees to have a home All of our lives Now we'll never need to love alone Always your hands are with mine Holding the Sunsets and graves We're holding the